This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Yeah, before we get officially started, uh, a couple of uh, students from the Psychology Club are going to come up and talk a little bit about the uh, survey results that, that we came up with through the uh, relationship abuse survey that the Psych Club created. So they're going to say a few words. Next, we're going to have... Sharon Brennan, who's one of the counselors here at Moraine Valley, speak a little bit about some resources in our area. And lastly, our main speaker is going to be Suzanne Cusack, who is from the counseling department, too, who's worked uh, for a long time with uh, sexual assault survivors. So we got the site club. And if uh, you ladies would like to come up and tell us a little bit about the survey. Yeah, sure. Come on up. Come on up. Hi, we're from the Psychology Club. I'm Jennifer, this is Megan and Christine, and we're going to tell you about the results of the relationship abuse survey we did. We got 274 people to take the survey, so that's really awesome. Well, (laughs) and the survey was all about relationship abuse and different factors, and we're going to explain that all to you in our results. Okay, our first question was, have you ever felt you have been in an abusive relationship? 79 out of 274 people said yes, so that's 29%, and 195 people said no, so that's 71%. If you, out of the people who answered yes to question number one, 37% felt that they provoked the abuse. And also, out of the people who said that they felt they had been in, a, in an abusive relationship. 5% of the abuse was physical, 52% of the abuse was emotional, and 41% of the people were in a relationship where both emotional and physical abuse was present. Okay. okay. So... Uh, The relationship abuse survey was just like, it asked questions like, have you ever been in an abusive relationship or do you feel you provoked it? What form of of abuse did you experience? So that's what Jen just went over. Um, We asked what sexual orientation you were when you answered. Oh, okay. Okay, so the majority of you answered heterosexual. um, And out of the people that had experienced abuse, Jen mentioned that 37% of you said that you provoked it, which means that you guys think that there's a reason that your partner abused you, and there's no reason that anyone should abuse you guys. Um, out of people that experienced abuse, there was 35 of you male and 65% female. Out of the out of the people that felt they provoked it. 59% were male and 64 were female. So there wasn't really that much difference uh, in relation to sex, depending on like if you provoked it, if you felt you provoked it. Okay, so number six, um, like the questionnaire that you guys did was, have you ever witnessed abuse in a relationship with someone that you know? So have you guys ever seen, you know, like friends fighting with each other or like even if it was just emotional or physical? Um, Out of the 207, um, 76% said yes, that they have seen, you know, abuse either physical or emotional in, you know, someone else's relationship. And then we asked if you guys did see it, Um, Did you guys try doing anything about it? And 74% of the people said that they were willing to help, and then 26% that they didn't said that they didn't want to get involved. And the top three reasons um, why people or how people were trying to help were um, the first one that had the biggest amount of votes was they gave advice. So like people were trying to talk to their friends or relatives, whoever they saw the relationship, you know, problems with, they tried to talk to them and see, you know, what was going on and why they were, you know, allowing this to happen. Um, The second one was physical confrontation. So they, you know, actually tried to, like, get involved, like, physically and, you know, try to help out. And then three would be, like, calling the authorities. So, you know, either trying to get uh, counselors involved or, you know, police or anything like that. Do you guys have any questions about the questionnaire or anything? 
<laughs> okay, so just to sum up, three out of ten people in Moraine Valley uh, student population has experienced abuse. And so obviously it's in the population. It's most of the time you could think of someone that you know that has been abused either in your family or in your friends. And people need to know that there's resources out there to get help and that you guys don't deserve to be abused, that there's other ways to get around it. So glad you guys are here and have fun. <laughs> A big thanks out to the Psychology Club for uh, initiating the survey. They did a great job. Well, this is a large crowd. And, uh, well, obviously it speaks to the importance of the issue that we're talking about today. Well, I wanted to formally welcome everybody. Uh, I just wanted to start off by saying thank you for coming and uh, thank you for supporting our event and helping us recognize sexual awareness or sexual assault awareness week here at Moraine Valley, but uh, for anybody that doesn't know, the month of April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I wanted to thank our speakers for coming out, uh, one on short notice, so thank you very much for coming out and speaking to our audience today. They need a big hand. Well, Again, a special thanks to the Psychology Club, the Psychology Department. Uh, let's underline thank you five times for the Counseling Department for coming out and Liberal Arts for helping us plan this event and for making it happen. I think we need to give all those organizations a hand. Also, uh, uh, a big thank you to the library staff for helping us set up this uh, fantastic room here and Troy and uh, Lee, wherever you guys are. Thank you very much. Let's give the library staff a hand, too. Okay. The discussion we're going to have today is going to be addressing issues of rape and sexual assault. And we believe that it's a pretty important issue seeing that the statistics show that college-age students are four more times likely to be to have experienced sexual assault. So I'm assuming that most people in this audience here are college age. So we wanted you to walk away from the seminar with some prevention tools for when you guys go off to your four-year colleges and later in life as well. So that's why we wanted to bring it on campus. Um, rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, those are all very, very common issues, but also issues that are misunderstood, misconstrued sometimes and it comes with a lot of myths so one of the hopes that we have for today is to separate between fact between fact and fiction so that's why we've asked our speakers to come out and educate us so uh, let me first introduce Suzanne Brennan Sharon Brennan I'm sorry I'm thinking of the other person that was going to be here um, Sharon I'm sorry Sh no, Sharon Brennan Sharon's a counselor here at the Moraine Valley in the counseling department let's give her a hand Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. This, is, this turnout is great. Um, I'll tell you right now, the microphone's making me nervous. So if you hear the shake in my voice, it's real. I'm not used to having this, so, so bear with me. Um, I'll introduce myself a little further. As Nick said, my name is Sharon Brennan. Um, I'm a counselor here in our Counseling and Career Development Center. I have my master's in clinical psychology, and I also am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Illinois. Previous to coming to Moraine Valley to work, um, I worked in the domestic violence field for about four and a half years, counseling women and adolescent victims of domestic violence. And as we are going to learn today, one of the main portions of domestic violence is sexual abuse in the relationship. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be presenting this information um, and excited to have so many people here to listen to it. Since I've been at Moraine for about the last two years, um, I've been in the Counseling Career Development Center. I also am an instructor for our Psych 111 course and College 101. A few of the functions that I want to be clear to you for our counseling department, because we're really a valuable group of people and we want you to know what we can do to help you. Um, we offer career counseling, so people who are looking for assistance um, in deciding what are their interests, talents, their their values and their skills and how can we put that together to become a successful um, career person one day, that's something we can help you with. 
We can help you with educational counseling, um, how to be successful in college, how to um, tackle time management issues, and so on. And another main thing that we can offer you is personal counseling, which is why we're happy to be a part of this presentation today. You have a group of very qualified individuals on campus ready and willing to help you if any of this is, is an issue or um, comes up as a result. Um, and it's also a really important starting place for you. It's here. We're here when you're here. And um, sometimes it's hard to reach out into the community or to know where to go. So I'm going to give you a lot of that information as well. But please know you can always come speak with us. Um, in the group, just so you're aware, we've got many qualified individuals, some of which are standing in this, sitting in this row. Would you guys stand up for me, please? Yes, you didn't know you were going to be on the spot. <laughs> we've got... Lynn Bailey, Suzanne Nasser, Linda Brand, myself, and also Suzanne Cusack, who so willingly agreed to come help us, and we're very thankful for that. Um, so, in doing some research, and community resources are always very difficult because sometimes um, numbers have changed when you get a number, or sometimes they're not really what you're looking for, or you're scared to make the call, you don't know if it's what is going to serve you the best. So I did some research. Um, who in here, if you can give me a raise of hand, text, uses their phone to text message? That's what I thought. <laughs> um, the reason why I'm asking is because this generation is so strong in text messaging. And anyone who knows me in terms of being a counselor in communication, I love face-to-face -face communication. I love hearing a voice and, and getting that interaction. But with this generation, sometimes that's difficult. And, it, and it's comfortable to be able to type back and forth, right, and get our responses. And just kind of whenever we need to, go to the Internet. Well, I came across a fantastic resource for all of you. It's an online hotline. Um, it is ran by RAIN, an organization which means Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. Um, it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week resource. And it is for the purposes of chatting. It's a crisis hotline that will allow you to talk with someone when you have the need, when something arises. If you have a family member, a friend, or yourself are experiencing some of these um, difficulties or have been sexually assaulted, you have a place to go immediately, and it's in a comfort zone for you. So what I'd like to do is take a few moments and show you a clip. I think you're going to think it's fascinating. I know I did, so bear with me while I get that plugged in. I awoke to hands tugging at my panties and reaching up my inner thigh. And when I came to, I realized that it was my boyfriend's best friend. I didn't know what to do. I felt him enter me and suddenly it was real. I thought I must have given him the wrong idea by offering my couch. Did I flirt with him? Was my outfit inappropriate? I wake up every morning with that haunting image, that life-size nightmare. But I realized that it was my silence that was hurting me and the other potential victims. Don't be afraid to tell. Speak out. Your story will be heard. If you are a rape victim, you are not alone. There is hope. assault on campus is a big problem that I don't feel people are really talking about that much. It's a really uncomfortable subject, I think, and I think it's happening more than a lot of people want to acknowledge that it happens. It's particularly difficult, I think, 
for um, people to say I was drinking. He was my friend, and then this happened to me. He would never do that to me, and I, I don't know. I really couldn't say no, or we were dating. I'm not exactly clear on what happened, and so I think a lot of the issues that involve maybe drinking and partying in association with sexual assault become really difficult for college-age students. Um, to talk about. It goes into that denial or that self-blame. Then you deal with student withdrawing, not wanting to engage in anything. Speaking about it is what actually begins the healing process from victim to actual survivor. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual assault organization. We, we do three main things. First, we help victims. We run the National Sexual Assault Hotline and the new online hotline. Second, we educate more than 120 million Americans every year about how to recover from sexual assault and how to prevent it. And third, we work on ways to improve the system, ways to get more victims to report their attack to police and get more, uh, more rapes prosecuted. We run the National Sexual Assault Hotline in partnership with about 1,100 local rape crisis centers around the country. And the hotline provides free, confidential help uh, 24 hours a day to anyone who needs it. Since 1994, RAIN has helped more than one million people. Uh, and even more astonishing, every week, thousands more reach out for our help. Sexual assault victims are overwhelmingly young. Uh, almost half of them are under 18. So we really needed a, a way to communicate with this generation. We grew up, my generation, doing things online. Um, and that's the venue in which we are most comfortable communicating. We're in very much a technology age and students are in these online communities and that's where they've become comfortable. We needed to provide a, a new kind of service and that was the genesis of the National Sexual Assault Online Hotline. Well, the online hotline kind of grew out of a need or as an answer to thousands of emails that were received by RAIN and by uh, local rape crisis centers. The online hotline is, is really a groundbreaking service. It's the web's first secure counseling hotline. We provide services to victims of sexual violence uh, through an interface as intuitive as instant messaging. And we do this with the help of hundreds of trained volunteers uh, who are supervised by crisis intervention experts. Oftentimes we hear uh, from visitors to the online hotline that this is the first person they've ever told. We took a lot of steps to make sure that this is a truly safe, secure, and anonymous service that people are going to feel comfortable using. For instance, we don't capture the IP address of users' computers. We never write transcripts of the sessions to disk. It's really cutting edge for the field of crisis intervention. For me, the nights were the most difficult, but if you have an online service, that you can send a quick IM to and they'll respond to you. It's, it's like someone's actually there for you and it's not as frightening. This would have definitely helped me. The online hotline now runs uh, 10 hours a day, five days a week. But our goal is to, is to raise the money so that we can have it running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so it's there whenever people need it. This is one of the most um, innovative services I've seen offered ever to sexual assault victims. Just during the course of this video, one more person will become a victim. Okay, so just during the course of this video, one more person became a victim. And as the clip mentioned, as a college student, a woman is four times more likely to become a victim of sexual assault. All the more reason why it's so important and so wonderful to see so many faces here. Um, a few things I'd like to point out as a result of the clip. So this, sorry, this video was made in 2007. Since then, the resource is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I myself have logged on it three times in the last couple days in preparation, and within the minute, I had someone responding to me. Okay, so it's, it's really wonderful, um, and they are there. A main message that was said and that I want you to keep with you is that you are not alone. We are here. They are there. And um, we are not alone. Okay? On campus this week, a couple other things I'd like to highlight in terms of resource. If you haven't already noticed in the union, there's the clothesline project going on, which is displaying t-shirts where victims have been able to speak out and share, um, whether it be about how they became a victim or how they're surviving. Very powerful and I encourage you to um, walk over and view it. It was displayed by Pillars, which is one of 
a, a very important community resource. They're here on campus again tomorrow doing a sexual health presentation, which I encourage all of you to attend as well and tell your friends, tell your family. It's free. Um, and it's information. With, with, with information, we become more powerful. Okay? Um, and so I have a sheet up here, and it goes over this hotline through RAIN. It goes over pillars. It goes over so many other area hotlines and community centers that are here to help you if you have someone or you yourself are struggling with these issues. Um, so I want to thank you very much. Um, please feel free at the end of the presentation um, to come up and get a brochure about the counseling department. If you have questions and you'd like to kind of feel through some of the information provided, stop by, make an appointment. Um, I have my card here. I have information. Take it, please. Um, the next person I'd like to introduce to you is my wonderful colleague who, um, in about five minutes' notice, was able to make it over and um, be prepared to present information to you about sexual assault awareness. Um, her name is Suzanne Cusack, and let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. I agree with you on the microphone there, Sharon. <laughs> Makes you a little nervous. But again, thank you so much for coming out. This is a great crowd. I offered this presentation yesterday, and we didn't have nearly as many people as we have today. So I'm really happy to see so many um, faces in the crowd. Um, my name is Suzanne Cusack. As Sharon said, I'm a counselor here at Moraine Valley. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I also did some work at Pillars Community Services, which is really the biggest ICASA center around here, the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Um, so it's a wonderful, wonderful place. They offer other services as well, mental health counseling, um, addictions counseling, sexual assault. Um, but one of their main focuses that we're going to talk about today is sexual assault services. So I do have a presentation for you. Unfortunately, I don't have enough copies to pass around here, so I'm just going to kind of talk about it. And if anybody has any questions along the way, please stop me. This is kind of weird. Can everybody hear me when I go like this? No? Okay. So I have to go like this, huh? I can take this off. If you guys have questions, and this one's a little louder than yours, <laughs> but if you guys happen to have questions, uh, just go ahead and ask me if we can't hear you. I'll just repeat it for the, for the speaker. Thank you. <laughs> I've always wanted to be famous. No. <laughs> okay, so I just thought I would start with some just definitions. I'm, I'm going to say this also. There's going to be a lot of vocabulary and some things that you're going to hear that may be difficult for you to hear. If you feel uncomfortable, you have to leave the room. Please, by all means, I don't want you to sit here feeling uncomfortable. Um, but I do believe it's a very important topic, and the only way to kind of stop some of the sexual abuse and violence that is going on is for us to talk about it and to put it out there and not be ashamed to talk about it. So, again, thank you so much for coming. The first thing I want to talk about is the difference between assault and abuse. I think sometimes those are confused, so I just thought it would be nice to start off with that. Um, sexual assault or rape is just as it, can you all see that? Yeah, okay. Um, any sexual contact or penetration of the mouth, anus, vagina without a person's consent. And we'll talk about what consent means, but that is really, really the key to that definition right there. Sexual abuse is really abuse of a child or an adolescent. And it's all about having that dominant person in a position of authority over the child. So a father, an uncle, a teacher, a priest. The child is young. The child is 3, 4, 13, whatever the age is. And this person of older age is putting dominance on this person. So it doesn't, even though it does say it includes fondling of a child's genitals, um, oral genital contact, all of those things, it doesn't necessarily have to encompass that. It can also include um, things as just exposure, um, child pornography, having a child look at something on the television or on the Internet these days. It doesn't necessarily have to be actual physical sexual contact. And I think a lot of times parents or even adolescents that I used to work with at Pillars would come in and say, you know what, I'm not even really sure if I was abused or if I was assaulted. You know, this happened, he made me look at this, or um, he exposed himself. That absolutely is abuse. And so I want people to know what it really means to be abused, and it's not just the touching and the feeling that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing that also encompasses sexual abuse and sexual assault is sexual harassment. So many of you guys are working right now, right? Yes? Have you all looked at your company's policy about sexual harassment? Yes? Probably briefly reviewed it, signed it, and then sent it in, right? Most companies, or all companies now, have a policy about sexual harassment, and it's not tolerated in the workplace or even here on campus. Um, so the quid pro quo harassment is sex is traded for opportunities. So can someone tell me what that would mean? What does it mean if sex is traded for opportunities? Yes? Okay, what do you mean by prostitution? Okay, hang on one second. Yes. Exactly, yes. So you're at work, boss says, it could be male or female, gender doesn't matter, and they say, you know what, you're the only way you're going to get that promotion is if you sleep with me. That is sexual harassment, and that is not tolerated. It's often very difficult to be the, the whistleblower and kind of say, you know what, this is not okay, I have to say something. Some people do take a lot of heat for it, but you know what? That's absolutely, it's not acceptable. So you should stand up. If more people would stand up and do the right thing, we would know that this is not acceptable and it's not tolerated. The other thing is even the hostile environments. So having pictures of nude individuals on the wall or all the jokes that go around in the office place or even at school too, right? People are laughing at those, but there are a lot of people who are taking offense to those as well. So you really have to be careful these days about things that you think might be funny. Other people are finding them pretty offensive, and really it's against the law also. So just something for more, more for you to think about. This is something that I wanted to go back to. Consent is extremely, extremely important. If you are not consenting to any sexual act, and a minor can never consent to a sexual act, it is considered sexual assault, rape, or abuse. So everyone involved in the sexual activity has to be able to say yes. The first thing we probably think of is if someone is too drunk or on drugs, right? Exactly. So what if you only had, let's say, one or two drinks? Do you think that you're still in a state of mind to consent? It could kind of go either way. I mean, really, you're putting alcohol in your body, so your inhibitions are kind of, you know, out there and lowered. You're not really able to make the right kind of choices that you would if you were, didn't have any alcohol. Now, if someone's absolutely passed out on the bed drunk, absolutely. There is no opportunity for someone to ever say yes at all. The other thing I talked about was the minor. Minors can never, ever consent to sexual activity. And then if someone is not mentally capable. So that's another thing to think of, too. If someone is considered, let's say, has mental retardation, they are not able to consent to sexual activity. That is considered rape or sexual abuse. Um, so the other thing I have here, all these different um, ability to consent. Intoxication is probably the first thing that you're all going to encounter as college students. Let's say you're at a club, you're at a friend's house, you're drinking too much, another person is drinking too much, and a lot of people point blame that at themselves, and we'll talk more about that. But I cannot say enough that it is never, ever your fault. It is always the perpetrator's fault. It doesn't matter how much you had to drink. It doesn't matter where you were or what you were wearing. It doesn't matter. It's always the person that did the crime that is their fault. They should have known better. They should not have done that to you. Suzanne? I'm sorry, I have a question. Um, so let's say we have two people that are at an over 21 gathering having drinks. And uh, you have a young man that has three drinks, and you have a female that hasn't had any. And she starts flirting with him, let's say, and uh, he consents. Would he not have the ability to consent even though he had two or three drinks? That's a good question. What do you guys think? Person, so we're kind of flipping the tables here. It's the man who has been drinking, and it's the woman who has not been drinking. Woman's coming on to the man, three drinks. You know, we don't know how big this man is. We don't know the body size. We don't know how the alcohol is affecting this person. We don't know about their mindset. 
you know we we don't know so really you have to think about those things you know and it's so easy I mean it's happening all over the place you're at clubs you're at parties people are drinking having fun but you just you have to use your senses you have to think about you know is this person capable of making these decisions the answer might not be yes so be careful and that's a good question because you kind of turn the tables we always think of it kind of the other way right good question um, the other thing is the intimidation, the fear, especially when someone is putting that onto a child. Um, don't tell your parents, I'll hurt your family, um, I'll do this to your sister, your brother. So they feel like they have to kind of take ownership of it and they are trying to protect the other people in their family. Nine times out of ten, that person is doing it to everybody else in the family also and saying the exact same things to everybody else in the family. Um, let's see, force, uh, force can be a physical attack, a threat of a physical attack. The other thing we'll talk about, too, is that the, the incidents that you hear on the news, those generally are not the norms. Usually rape and abuse is happening by people that you know. Date rape. Um, think about children. Who are the people that children are around? They're not around strangers, right? They're around their family, people who are watching them. So it's someone that they know in the family, someone that everybody thought they trusted, but you can't. So I hope everybody can see this. I pulled up some statistics from RAIN, one of the websites and the um, agencies that Sharon Brennan was talking about, and they're very disturbing no matter what the numbers are. Depending on the statistics that you pull up, the numbers seem to vary. Um, I've been doing this presentation for some time, and before I saw the numbers of one in three, one in four, but since this is what Rain came up with, this is what I thought I would share with you today. It's saying that one in six women and one in 33 men will be a victim of sexual assault in their lifetime. So what do you guys think of those statistics? Do you think that's accurate, or do you think it's underreported? You think it's accurate? think it's accurate? Underreported? What about the male? One in 33. Very underreported. I would absolutely agree with that. I was talking to a victim's advocate from Pillars one time, and all of her time working in the hospital, going to the hospitals and speaking with survivors after they were attacked, she has never seen one male in the emergency room, ever. So that number to me is saying that it is extremely underreported. Absolutely, it happens all of the time, yes. So when I'm talking about this, I'm not only talking about women, but I'm talking about men as well. Like Sharon was saying, this is the college group right here. College-age women are four times more likely to be sexually assaulted. Four times. That's very scary. And every two minutes in the United States, someone is sexually assaulted. So right now, I have been here for 30 minutes. Imagine how many people in this world have been sexually assaulted just while we're sitting here. That's very disturbing. Yes? You're saying uh, these stats are worldwide or is this just America? Right. These are in the United States right here. And it depends. I'm not sure what population they were surveying on RAIN. But like I said, it depends on the site you're, you're researching. I know the Psychology Club just recently did some research and their statistics are a little different. It depends on the population and what you're looking at. Like I said before, I've also heard one in three, one in four. I believe there's a group of men that speak and they're called um, either one in three or one in four because that was what the statistics were giving them. And I'll have an, another slide here with some other statistics. I just thought, no matter what the number is, it's too much. It's absolutely too much. The other one is 60% of sexual assaults are not even reported to the police. That's over half of them that are never ever reported and six percent of rapists will ever spend a day in jail so if you think about that and how many of sexual assaults and abuse is going on this is why so many people choose not to report because unfortunately it seems like the laws are on the side of the perpetrator of the offender it doesn't seem like the laws are with the survivors unfortunately and that goes with any type of crime really so we were talking about this yesterday in the presentation I was doing. You know, for someone to have to go to court and to try to prosecute somebody, 
it's very difficult. Their life is going to be dragged out through the court system. Everything and anything they never wanted anybody to hear is going to be put on public display. They're going to have to take time off of work, you know, uh, time off of school. It's going to be very difficult. So at Pillars Community Services, they have advocates there that help people along this process. They will go to court with them or go to court for them. They will tell them all of their options so they don't feel like they're in this alone. But even still, it's very difficult, and they're very upfront about all of this. And they give you all of your options, whether you choose to report or not to report, because that is your choice. I found this one, the ICASA, the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault Awareness Statistics from 2006. So, it, you know, it's a few years old now. Either way, very alarming. So there are 2.1 million women living in Cook County. Of those, 295,000 have been assaulted, have been raped. That's a lot of people. And I put this for every county here. So DuPage, 48,000. Lake County, 32. Will County, 25. Kane County, 20,000. Winnebago, 15,000. Madison, 15,000. And McHenry, 13,000. That's a lot of people. So when Sharon says you are not alone, you are not alone. There are wonderful support systems out there, and you absolutely can get through this. You can heal, you can recover, and you can go on to live a wonderful, normal life. So I encourage you, if any of you know anybody or if you've been a survivor yourself, to please get help. The other one from the National Victim Center one in three, this is one is telling me one in three women age 18 and over in the U.S. are forcibly raped every minute. Every minute. 78 per hour and 1,871 per day. Just in one day. Just think, you know, in one eight-hour day, what has happened in the rest of the world? When I'm just standing here giving this presentation, I'm teaching a class, this is what's going on in the rest of the world. So that's why we need all of your help to help stop this epidemic that is going on because it is, it's, it's happening all over, and we can't just do this as an individual. And it's not just an individual problem. It's not just one person who this may have happened to. It's a world problem. We're all living here together. We're all living in the same world. You all have mothers and fathers and children and grandchildren, uncles and nieces and nephews. And so we have to be, look at the human side of this and say, what can we do? We're not going to stand for this anymore. What can we do? to help stop this. Just a quick question. Uh, when you're talking about all these rapes that are occurring, um, is there a particular, and you may get to this at some point, but is there a particular profile that a rapist has, maybe somebody that we can kind of preemptively have our alarm system on for? I wish I had the answers for that. Characteristics uh, we need someone else? from the police department here for that. <laughs> um, I don't know the answer. I wish I did. But we were talking about it yesterday when I was reading the story, and you said, what did you, um, how can someone have just a lack of empathy for another human being? And that is the question. You know, sitting here in a room, you're thinking, just being, you're looking at someone as a human being, person to person, you have feelings, and you just wonder, how is someone capable of doing this to another person? And I don't know the answer. Yes? control. Uh, can we say that uh, in my clinical experience, I would say that if you take a look at uh, people who commit rapes, there's got to be some level of antisocial behavior. And when we talk about antisocial, uh, we're not talking about somebody that doesn't socialize. We're talking about somebody that uh, behaves in ways that are against society's rules. So this individual may be, uh, either have antisocial traits or could be um, antisocial personality disorder, somebody who has no empathy, doesn't feel bad, and has no remorse, which is one of the only ways that I can see how somebody would be able to do this to another person. Is, you know, I don't know how you can have 
uh, live with yourself or I don't know how you could not feel bad for another human being. And everything that you're saying is right on point. The next point I was going to talk about is this issue of dominance and control, just like Suzanne was talking about. Because you hear on the news, let's say, an elderly woman is being attacked in their home or a child the age of three or four is being abused, and you think... How could that happen? It's not about the sexual attraction. That is not what it's about. It's about the dominance and control. So even we talk about male rape, a male raping another male, again, it is not about the sexual attraction. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's about that dominance and control over another human being. So they, they pick up um, a child. They pick an elderly woman. And what is the most ultimate form of kind of intimidation and power is for another male to rape another male. And so that's what happens. The other thing, yes? Uh, I don't know if you would know this, but uh, are most male sexual assault cases, are they mostly homosexual? No. They are not. No. Again, it goes back to the power and dominance. It doesn't have anything to do about that sexual attraction. In fact, it's usually heterosexual males raping heterosexual males. And that's a really, it's a common myth that people think that it is another homosexual um, raping another homosexual. That is not the case. Or even a heterosexual raping, or a homosexual raping a heterosexual. That's not the case. Okay. The other thing, you notice here that I say survivors. When I was trained with this 40-hour sexual assault training at Pillars, we were told to call victims survivors. Can anybody think of why we would be told to say that? Yes. Exactly. That's right. They have survived it. They have done whatever they need to do to get out of it alive. And it puts the power back in their hands. Because when someone is raped or assaulted, they're ripped from everything that they, they had. You know, they have, that control is gone. Um, so to put that control back in their hands and to feel a sense of empowerment, you have survived this. And so they, put, they create these survivor quilts, um, the survivor t-shirts over in the student union. And that's why I like to use the word survivor. Um, some other things I just want to talk about is most rapists um, are normal looking people. They're not walking around looking like that scary person. I'll be able to spot them in any second. They look completely normal. And so it's very difficult to say, you know, that you hear about people on the news and people say, oh, I had no idea. They lived next door to me all these years. I never would have thought. They go to work like you and I. They, they're teachers. They're doctors. They're lawyers. They're priests. You know, and they never knew. Uh, let's see. Two other things, date rape um, and prevention tips for date rape. I have a handout here if anyone's interested. Like I said, unfortunately, we don't have enough copies right now, given the last-minute thing. Um, but most rapes are committed by someone you know, so be careful when you're on a date. I was talking about this yesterday. In my Psychology 101 class, I show a primetime video, What Would You Do? Has anybody ever seen that series on Tuesday nights, What Would You Do? One of the clips that I show is about, every, you know, they set up these scenarios, these actors, and other people that are there don't know that it's actually um, a setup. And so these two individuals are on a date, first date, and this guy, the girl goes to the bathroom and the guy slips something into her drink. And they want to see who in the crowd or at the bar is going to say anything. A lot of times nobody says anything. They let the girl go home with the guy. They let the girl sit there. Get sick, not say anything. In some instances, some people speak up. They say to the bartender, get this person another drink. Um, they quietly tell the girl, you know, if you don't feel good, you know, don't drink that anymore. But nobody ever confronts the guy. Nobody had ever said anything to anybody. So um, be careful. You know, use your instincts. If you feel like something is wrong, then it is. Always tell somebody where you're going. Things that you've been taught before, but it never hurts to go back over those things. Don't put yourself into situations that are questionable. And if something were to happen, again, you go back to it is not your fault. Someone should not have done that to you. Okay? Let me just move through this. Uh, two of the date rape drugs, GHB is liquid G. Have you all heard of that? Yes, I was surprised that some people yesterday have not heard of that. And robinol, it's a sleep, a, a strong sleep um, drug to put you to sleep. 
anyone gives you any one of these things, you are not going to be able to get out of the situation and make a decision for yourself. So, again, be careful. Can you smell it in your drink? No. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You don't know. Exactly. So if you, if you know something that's happened to you and you're able to get yourself to the hospital, try to get yourself tested immediately because it will leave your system fairly quickly. Um, we talked a little bit about male sexual abuse, and you hit one of the myths right on the head that I wanted to talk about, is that most people believe that uh, male rapes are committed by homosexual men, and that is not the case. Most rapes are committed by heterosexual men. And I had a story, um, an individual, Lenny, who was on a soccer team and wanted to join the soccer team, and he was out drinking at a frat party one night and, um, you know, asking questions to this other guy whose name was Eric, and... Um, you know, I, what do I have to do to join this team? Uh, what is the coach like? All the soccer players are standing around. All of a sudden, from behind, this guy takes Eric, Lenny, it takes, takes over Lenny, knocks him to the ground, and anally rapes him with a beer bottle. While other people are standing around watching. So it's very disturbing. What would make somebody do that? That was your question. What would make somebody do that? And why would nobody else in the group stand up to say anything? They don't want to be next. Don't want to be next. Exactly. It's the power and control. It's the dominance. Right. Maybe this is something that this guy has done to other people on the soccer team. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But either way, it can happen to males or females. So be careful. Again, it goes back, be careful. Um, I do have some handouts if someone has ever been sexually assaulted and what to do. It can be a very scary process. Um, most hospitals either have an advocate on staff or will call an advocate, let's say, from Pillars Community Services. So there's a hotline that you can call, and I have some great pens over here that I can pass out with the hotline number. So let's say you call the hotline, you're at the hospital, you're on the street. Um, the advocate says, okay, can you meet me at the hospital? Can you meet me somewhere safe? Okay, yes. They're going to come. They're going to help you. They're going to tell you all of the information that you need to know. A lot of times also what happens is that the hospital may call a police officer, which is wonderful, but Sometimes when the police come in, they're overpowering, they're telling you, you have to report what happened, give me all the details. You don't have to report, and the advocate will tell you that. You can choose to do a rape kit right then and there, and if you ever want to report, it's a good idea to have that done because you're collecting evidence right there, um, and they'll put that information away. But you don't have to report right then. So that's why it's good to have that advocate there so you don't feel so much pressure by the police and the hospital staff. They will take all of your clothes, so they're going to you know, kind of put a rug out, and you're going to dust off everything on you to get any DNA. They will take all of your clothes. The advocate will bring you some other clothes to go home in. Um, you do not have to wait in the emergency waiting room. It's called Code R, I believe. Yes, Code R, which means you are to be seen first unless there's a life and death emergency in the, in the emergency room. So you are not to be sitting there. You are also not to be left with the hospital bill. Now, that sometimes comes to the person's home after the fact, but that's why the advocates are so great because they, you give them the bill and they will fight it on your behalf saying, no way, this was a crime victim, um, they're not responsible for paying this hospital bill. So don't let the fact that you don't have insurance, um, you don't have any money, you know, deter you from getting help. Go to the hospital if you so choose and get yourself some help. You can get tested for STDs. He's going to pass out some pens. You can get yourself tested for STDs, and um, Pat Murphy from Pillars Community Services is going to talk about sexual health and STDs tomorrow, Wednesday. Great information. I've heard her presentation before. Um, the other thing is expect anything when someone has been a survivor of sexual assault or sexual abuse, and it's called the trauma response. Physical reactions, emotional responses, pretty much anything and you don't know what the duration is going to be it can be long term you know if someone's been enduring abuse for several years 
it's going to take a long time for that person to recover, but they absolutely are able to recover. And I encourage you to get help. Thinking that I can handle this, I put it in the back of my mind, I'm going to go on, it's not going to work out. It's going to come up in other areas of your life. You know, there might be a trigger, someone says something, you're at a certain event, and all those memories come flashing back to you. So I really strongly encourage you to get help and to go to counseling and to talk to somebody. There's trained professionals out there that are willing to help you. And for those of you that, have, um, that know someone who's been a survivor, some tips for significant others. I have a few things that I want you to say to them. First of all, you can never say it enough. It is not your fault. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm glad you're alive. You did the best you could to survive. And I'm here for you. That's it. You will be there to listen. Don't ask questions such as, what were you wearing? Why were you there? Why didn't you run away? I would have done this. Why didn't you do this? No. Don't say anything like that. You're there for the other person, and that's it. And as I said, you cannot say that enough times. I remember sitting with people saying, gosh, I've said that so many times. It's not your fault. I'm sorry this happened to you. They weren't ready to hear that yet. They were still blaming themselves, and that's very common, and that's okay. That's the first stages there. But later down the road, all of a sudden they said, you know, I heard it when you said it this time. I believe it. And that shows me they're on the road to recovery then. Uh, let's see what else. We talked about that. Went over that. Um, so just some final thoughts here. Um, the victim has the right to respect uh, for information and confidentiality. So keep those three things in mind when you're talking to the advocate. It's really important to get linked to one. I put some resources up there. Um, if anyone's interested, I'd be happy. I have a few handouts here for copies. And if you'd like to take one with you, please, by all means, do. I could always print off more in my office or you can come talk to someone. Oh, great. Yes. Sharon printed off some. Fantastic. Uh, so there's some really great resources out there. Pillars Community Services always comes to mind with me, but Sharon um, shared that wonderful online um, website. That's awesome. And uh, the Hope Enrichment Center, just some other counseling agencies that are out there. And if you, let's say you're, uh, you, ha you see the number for the sexual assault hotline at 708, if you're in 815 area code 630, it doesn't matter. Just call the number. They will get you to where you need to be. Okay. Those are some of the statistics. So does anybody have any questions or comments? No questions? No Guys, comments? we were hoping yeah. that we had some time for questions, but we uh, have a couple representatives here from Pillars Community. Oh, perfect. Yeah, uh, great. For anybody that, you know, because talking about these types of issues, of course, uh, can trigger symptoms and trigger past trauma. So anybody that does need to talk, has experienced anything like this, and are having a resurgence of feelings again, uh, we have a couple people from Pillars uh, who can talk to you here today as well. We'd like to open the forum up for questions. So if anybody has questions, you know, certainly ask them, and hopefully we can answer them for you, or any of us can. Uh, do we have anybody that has any questions in the audience that they would, or comments or anything like that? If anyone's ever interested in becoming a volunteer, let's say for Pillars Community Services, they do offer the 40-hour sexual assault training. Um, and so then you can become someone who works the hotline and is able to go to the hospitals to help survivors. And I do have some flyers and brochures about that as well, if anyone's interested. Just come on up and talk to me. Again, thank you so much, everyone, for coming out. I Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.